Red Cloaks Radio is a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio, and I'm here today joined by amazing co-host Lorinda Blaisdell. Hello, Lorinda. Hello, welcome to season four of Red Cloaks Radio. Season four? Oh my goodness. The need only continues to increase with each season. Did you think sure in season does. three that we'd be uh, in the place we are right now? No, I mean, just last week, right, voting on the Equal Rights Amendment after 99 years of advocacy, these people are still willing to walk down to the lectern in Congress and say, no, I don't want there to be equal rights. I I want there to be discrimination based on gender. Shocking, shocking, but still there. So that means we're still here, too. Still have a, yeah, definitely a lot that we need to uh, change. We're so excited today to have as our guests, brilliant artists, Sophie Homaker, Jessica Henke, and Catherine LeCompte. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Hi. So nice to be here. Today we'll be talking to the two women who collaborated to make this great book. Sophie Homaker, Jessica Henke. The book is Supervision on Motherhood and Surveillance. I will also be joined by Catherine LeCompte, who is collaborating with them on a really cool art project for the book launch, which includes an exciting roller boogie for Repro Justice, Thursday, May 18th at Shavu Roller Rink in Dorchester and events in Portland, Maine on May 19th. Once again, the book Supervision on Motherhood and Surveillance. Sophie Homaker is an artist, filmmaker, and teacher whose work concerns media, technology, and the archive. She runs a micro cinema under the name Flying Point Projects and currently teaches in the MFA and the Academic Studies Departments at the Maine College of Art and Design in Portland, Maine. She received a BA in Visual and Critical Studies from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, a Meisterschuler degree in Film, Video, Multimedia from the University of the Arts in Berlin, and a Master's degree in Art Education. She studied at the Whitney Museum's Independent Study Program in New York, and we are really excited to spend time with you this morning, Sophie. Hello. Hi, it's so nice to be here. Also, welcoming Jessica Hankey, co-editor of the book, also is an artist and publisher of Orbish Editions, an artist-run platform for publications and performance. She has held editorial and curatorial positions at the Museum of Modern Art New York, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, and the Museum of Jurassic Technology, Los Angeles. Her work as an artist uses film, photography, sculpture, and publishing to explore the social lives of institutions, engaging with a particular site for years in entities that include museums, schools, community centers, social clubs, and Amtrak cross-country trains. The desires of individuals and the consequences of desire are set against these larger institutional bodies and environments. Welcome to Red Cloaks, Jessica. Thanks, Lorinda. Joining us today also, Catherine LeCompte is a Boston-based educator and artist whose photographic work examines her familial relationships, memory, and personal experiences. Her work has been exhibited within the United States and abroad, She holds a BFA in photography from the Savannah College of Art and Design and is currently attaining her MFA in photography from the Massachusetts College of Art and Design. Hello and welcome. Hi, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I think as people can tell from just our introductions, we're going to be talking a lot about 
intellectual themes, but also about the art of collaboration. So it's going to be a lovely subtext, the fact that we're seeing so many people working together to talk about this really important thing. So the title of the book is Supervision on Motherhood and Surveillance. And I'm going to say it again, supervision on motherhood and surveillance. And for listeners, you can look that up right away because the book is just coming out. We're going to talk not only about the book and the themes, but also about the exciting, <laughs> inviting, engaging book launch events that are coming up both in Boston and Dorchester and also in Portland, Maine shortly. So we want to encourage people to, again, write down the title, Supervision on Motherhood and Surveillance. And we'll also be talking about these great events to which you are invited. So first, let's just ask the book title itself puts us right into a dialogue. It just does. When I first saw it, I'm like, hmm, motherhood and apple pie. That's what comes to my mind. So reading that word surveillance there strikes me right away, that pairing. So it would be really interesting to know more about how you decided to approach this. And so Sophie, I'd love to get your take on that. I think for me, there was a need to explore the topic of surveillance when I felt like I couldn't really look through my camera anymore after becoming a mother. Um, I'm an artist and a filmmaker, as you just mentioned in my bio, and uh, filmmaking has always involved a very concentrated looking for me. Um, once my first child was born, I kept getting distracted when looking through the viewfinder because I had to watch my child instead of concentrating on composition and lighting. And I started thinking about the word surveillance and its definition, which really means close observation. So perfect for an artist, right? We're thinking about, I was thinking about looking and watching all the time before, and now I was suddenly thinking about it, like how, how has looking and watching changed since becoming a mother? Um, I found it intriguing that that language always contains so many nuances. So I looked up the definition in French, for example, or the uh, in French, um, it definitely doesn't have as many negative connotations as it does in English. Surveiller une enfant, surveiller le malade. So surveying or watching over a child or watching over a patient. Um, and that's, that's much more interwoven with caretaking in the French language, whereas in English, there's always this ominous um, or threatening through line with the connotation that the word has. So then I started thinking about baby monitors and the connection between the history of photography in relation to military research. I wanted to understand the trend of watching children through monitors to ease anxiety Advertisers play a huge role in creating anxiety in the first place. And I was drawn, I think, to thinking about how baby monitors, so how technology infiltrates a domestic space. And I wanted to explore the relationship between care and control. For, for people who are listening, you need to imagine in your hands, you're holding a book and that the book includes text, interviews, many photographs with different types of art represented in the photograph. So the photograph may be of um, a painting. It could be of other photographs. There's a lot happening in the book. And Jessica, love to get your take on this. Again, this sort of, I guess you put it yourself already in the book. You said you could say there's a dialogue unfolding between texts and images, which readers activate. What's your take on your big approach and this book form? So 
you know, Sophie and I are both artists and we have some ideas about how we think art can be seen and experienced in the world and maybe not so siloed as it usually is. So we really wanted to bring visual art and text together within the book and present the art without the usual kind of framework of textual explanation. You know, we think readers can make connections on their own and interpretations. Also, we live in a world where there is Google and other kinds of internet searches. So we're not trying to provide that for the reader. We are letting image and text collide within the space of the book and uh, letting readers draw their own conclusions. I can, I can add to that. Um, so sometimes, sometimes it's, it's a very obvious connection between image and text um, just in, the, in terms of the, the book's layout. Um, but sometimes there's an image and you've maybe read a text or an interview or a poem and um, there's an image that comes later in the book or earlier. Um, and I think that's, you know, like then you then you kind of remember that image or you remember that poem while you're looking at um, at the image. So there's there's uh, really this very beautiful web of relationships um, that I think spans the, the whole breadth of the book. And um, there's a lot of different things that can be interpreted. And I think that's really important that we give agency to the readers. There are about 20 artists included in the book. So in looking at the different art that is in the book, in what ways were your own art practices and histories influencing the creation of the book? I think most of my work, my, most of my work has been in the form of collage. So that's kind of what one usually thinks of collage as in paper collage, but I also um, extend this collaging, make it into a verb to include the films that I've made because they consist of fragments or kind of recontextualizations of text and found images with material that I've shot myself. Um, so in some ways I almost, one could also think of the book as a large collaborative collage that includes images, texts, ideas, etc. One work that I want to talk about um, that I made in the past that somehow is linked to this book is a film that I made in 2013 called Directing Descent about a former high school teacher of mine who played a big role in the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement in Baltimore. My teacher, um, he challenged us in class to consider really complex moral issues from a lot of different perspectives. And um, he really deepened my understanding of the ramifications of dissent within democracy. And I think that this book is really a kind of a continuation of that kind of thinking, um, thinking about larger topics and thinking about care also in terms of dissent and democracy. That's, re that's really good because I think especially thinking of it, this book as a collage is something that makes so much sense um, when you actually get the book. Jessica, what about for you? A lot of my work as an artist is interested in how everyday life is impacted by institutions and power structures. So there was a pretty clear relationship between that work and what the book is looking at. But I think a really great question that emerged through the book, you know, we didn't have this question quite in our hands when we started, is about 
the benevolence of care. Like we want, we need a government that cares for us because we need healthcare and we need education and we need healthy food. But the government we have, the state we have, uses those institutions, whether it's welfare or child and family services or the Indian Health Service, it uses those institutions to control and punish families. In making the book, you've collaborated, and we talked about that at the opening, just having you all here, thinking so much about how people work together to achieve a vision. It's not something that is necessarily easy for everyone. Um, and there's some really negative stereotypes, quite frankly, about women working together. So I think it's nice to see what does result when people collaborate so well. We would love to know how you navigated this collaboration, and especially during the pandemic. This has been a multi-year project for you. The project really started out in 2018 with Sophie's questions that she talked about, about her own experience of pregnancy and motherhood, and she brought those to me. And together, we really transformed the book through the inclusion of all of these other voices. There are 48 contributors in addition to us. And through those other people, we really feel like the book expands in big ways to talk about other lives in which, you know, mothers and families and people who can become pregnant are just heavily scrutinized and surveilled. And again, I go back to talking about the institutions, right? Like through the police, mass incarceration, welfare, and as we're just constantly hearing about in the news right now, the legal efforts to control reproductive health or abortion. So I don't have children of my own, but I was really fascinated by Sophie's initial observations about care and watching within the family. And together we worked to broaden things, to have a view of how pregnancy and raising children is not just watching, but being watched. I want to add to that because I think the collaboration is absolutely key to this entire project. I would never have been able to make this book without Jessica and um, it's taken five years and she's been there the whole time throughout this whole entire process. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think really one of the things that that struck me in the process of making it and it's still kind of surreal that it, that this book is actually an object now and out in the world but that um yeah it was it was a real love declaration i think also between the two of us um at least for me it was like that so i'm just incredibly grateful to jessica that she really that she picked this up and that she stuck with me and there was a lot of ups and downs and a lot of ups and downs when it came to emotions as well. And then I think another form of collaboration that took place in the making of this book is really the, the interview, the interviews that are in the book. So there's 13 interviews in the book, including the introduction, which is a roundtable interview with, I think, five of the um, contributors. So the interview process in in, in some sense was absolutely also a, co a collaboration between those people and it, and, and that um, and a, there was a progression within that collaboration in a lot of ways because it began with talking only to friends and 
while walking through the park, let's say. Um, and then it continued with reaching out to people who I didn't know at all um, to, yeah, in some ways work through my own kind of isolation and motherhood and, 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 and talk with them and find out about their journeys through motherhood mm, or mothering rather. I wanna say a little more about collaboration. <laughs> I really, really highly recommend cl collaboration to artists and activists and anybody out there because as an artist particularly, but it can be in a lot of other areas, you know, if you're a little bit shy, it's very hard to advocate for the work you're doing because it feels so tied up with your own ego and what you're capable of. But when you make a pact with somebody else, like Sophie and I on this marathon of the book, you have to advocate for that work. You have to bring it out there to be fair to the other person. And you also can't give up. And I think that a misconception about collaboration, which I'm really glad I was disabused of before Sophie and I started working together because I had collaborated in the past, is that people think that collaboration is 50-50, but it's not really like that. And you can definitely get into a lot of fights if you think that's what it is, that it's really taking turns, being in the lead, being able to listen and, and that's definitely being able to compromise, but it's like, and that can so much help for us, like in a five-year project where like you're feeling really discouraged, then the other person can step in and, you know, give you a new deadline and get you to keep going. Many of the biggest achievements, if we want to call that steps forward, greater equity comes after struggles that are much longer than a year or five years even, you know, for women to earn the right to vote was more than 70 years. Just this past week, they called for a vote in the Senate and the Equal Rights Amendment. It was introduced 99 years ago. It's not amazing. Yes. Right? So I think what you're talking about is one of the critical tools for people to think about instead of sitting home and feeling like depressed and giving up. It's like, go find some people to collaborate with, be part of forward motion, even if you don't necessarily get to see it all in your lifetime. So this art of collaboration even comes into the exciting part of now sharing the book and launching it out into the world. So briefly, and we're going to continue this conversation, can you just share with people the dates of these upcoming exciting events and where they can find out more? We are throwing parties for reproductive justice in Boston and in Portland. So the Boston event is on May 18th at Shevu, a roller skating rink in Dorchester. And the Portland event is a book talk and a dance party on May 19th at Space Gallery. Um, in Maine, we are partnering with Maine Family Plan Planning, Mabel Wadsworth Clinic, Planned Parenthood of Northern New England, GER, which is Grandmothers for Reproductive Rights, and Safe Maine, an organization that disseminates funds to patients in need of abortion care. All of those organizations will be tabling at the event, and there's going to be merch printed by a group of students called Noise Collective from the Maine College of Art and Design, where I teach. And the superstar of the evening will be Viva Ruiz for both of our evenings. Viva Ruiz from Thank God for Abortion, will be doing a performance. And Jessica, do you want to talk more about the Boston event? Yeah, please, please, please come. It's going to be super fun. We are really centering, uh, in both events, we're really centering abortion rights. And Viva Ruiz will be performing from the Project Thank God for Abortion, your one time so far to see it in Boston. And we'll have a DJ. We're working with 
a coalition of local students from MassArt, the School of Museum of Fine Arts Tufts, and BU to make merch for the event, so t-shirts, posters, and tote bags. And you don't have to roller skate. It's going to be a really great just recharge for people to come together who are either working on reproductive justice or want to. So artists, activists, providers, students. So if you can't come, you can buy a ticket and get a tote bag poster or t-shirt and support the orgs benefiting from the event, which are, as far as I know, Boston's only independent abortion provider, Planned Parenthood, and Neighborhood Birth Center, Boston's only community midwifery center that is run by midwives of color. As soon as I heard I don't have to roller skate, not that I, I wish I could, but it hasn't happened yet, so I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and then, <laughs> Catherine, we're excited to talk about your role in collaborating and joining in, because as we hear in the book, the making of the book, and now the launching of the book, there's collaboration everywhere. And can you just tell us briefly, Catherine, how did you get connected? Uh, so I recently became a collaborator through a fellow MFA student I met this past March, uh, Delaney Burns of Boston University. She reached out to me about collaborating in an upcoming silkscreen printing event at MassArt to support the book launch. Um, I'm very excited to be involved as an artist and collaborator. And I've also never screen printed before. So I'm looking forward to that experience. It's fantastic. And we wanna encourage listeners, we're going to have a part two because there's a lot more to unpack, but we wanna make sure you can find the book, come to the event, and, and collaborate along with Sophie and Jessica and this growing circle that includes Catherine and many more people. So uh, thank you so much for spending time with us now and we look forward to rejoining you soon. Thank you. Thanks. So great. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to Red Cloaks Radio, a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Find us at bostonredcloaks.com 